Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Intrafish podcast where we give you all the news, views, and analysis from the international seafood industry. I am Rachel Mutter. I'm one of the editors at Intrafish, um, based in Malaysia, and I am joined today by my colleague, Lola Navarro, who is one of our reporters from our London office. Um, but of course, neither of us are actually in our in our home towns right now. We're both in Bangkok, where we've been attending the SeaWeb Seafood Summit. Um, for those of you who haven't been to the the SeaWeb Summit, um, it's kind of an unusual conference. I think it's it's fair to say um, it's very heavily sustainability focused. Um, there's a large NGO presence. Um, I think in a in a show of hands um, in the plenary session when someone asked who was who was here representing which sectors, um, definitely around half the room put up their hands to say they were from an NGO, um, and then of course there was also business represented um, and and government um, fair amount of government representation actually at this this conference um, this year. Um, I think that's particularly the case because we're here in in Thailand. Um, where, of course, there's been, I think it's fair to say, fairly drastic change um, in the seafood industry here. Um, incredible improvements um, fr- from what everyone is saying here to, to the supply chain, to, to try and rectify the, the labour abuses that have been happening um, in the industry and to bring more traceability um, and, and transparency to the sector. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like Thailand is really a, a case study for a country that's been able to very drastically change um, its production. And in quite a short space of time, I think it's been, how long has it been? Maybe three years since the since that first um, report came out from The Guardian, or is it longer than that? I think it was 2014. Okay, 2014. All right. So, mm-hmm. so fi- the last five years, but, you know... What followed from that, obviously, was the EU yellow card, um, and the and the EU um, the EU representative f- for Thailand was was at the conference, and he was certainly pretty impressed with the changes that had been made and and the bringing together, I think, of all the the stakeholders in the process, because of course this is one of the the major challenges in the seafood industry um, and its sustainability is that I think historically there has been um, friction perhaps between NGOs, uh, between business, between government. Um, and for them to work together has always been sort of a big, a big challenge in actually creating true sustainability and, and transparency in the sector. But it, it sort of felt this week like that was slightly coming together. Um, Lola, was that your impression? Yeah, I think so. I, I agree with you because I've, uh, for the first time, well, we've been following on these issues uh, for a long time now, and we've seen how the NGO community in particular has been very, very um, critical of everything that's been done by governments and by companies, and they've never kind of given in absolutely anything. They haven't been any flexible with efforts for that at least what I've been seeing or my perspective in this in this topic and for the first time this week I've talked to people from from the uh, from the NGO community I've talked uh, for example with Steve Trent uh, who is the co-founder and executive director of the Environmental Justice Foundation and he was very clear and he was like he 
Kaczynski, who's been like, I would say, one of the strongest voices against uh, against the problems in the in the Thai seafood supply chain. He was very clear to me. He said something like, I've never seen a government that goes this far, this deep into these matters. He, of course, he, he expressed some concern on whether this is going to be a change that's going to be durable and that's going to continue through um, political changes um, in the country. But still, the fact that a, that a part of the industry that's been pushing for, for change for so long admit or accept and is thankful that they are seeing change coming from the government has been has been something that um, to me has been completely different to what I was uh, seeing before. So yeah, I agree with you. Everything, everyone seems to be on the same page now. Of course, companies also, we've had like representatives of, of, of some of the biggest companies in the world and entire union in particular, and they've been telling us now for many years uh, their efforts they've been i will say i'd say it's fair to say that they've been the drivers in this change and but they've been telling us specific cases and we've been talking about numbers and it just seems to be some actual change that's recognized by every single party involved by all stakeholders it's not just a one-sided um reality or vision of reality it's like it's like it's the same version from everyone, and yeah, I'd say that's that's a big change on the on what we've been seeing um, over the past years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, that sort of coming together. I think I, I also sort of met quite a few um, quite a few business executives who had come from an NGO background um, and had actually joined businesses in the last couple of years. Kind of seeing that as as actually the true route to to changing things because I think business. Um, no matter what governments and NGOs do, that it's business really that actually has to drive change in the sector, as as Thai Union has kind of has kind of demonstrated. Um, having said that, as you say, the Thai government has been kind of incredible. Um, it seems in in its willingness to change and its cross departmental work um, in bringing about bringing about the this shift in the sector. And I think one of the conversations that was definitely happening this week was how to transfer that system and those lessons that have been learned in Thailand um, to other parts of of the Asian region. Um, but as we were reminded um, time and time again for from representatives from that region, um, that it's a big place and it's full of very different countries um, with very different challenges and very different cultures. Um, and I think there is a tendency that with with a large part of the NGO force and the buying force coming coming from the West, that there's a sort of a tendency to just put Asia together all in one basket as though it's, it's one country. But of course, it's not. It's a very diverse selection of countries. Um, and that that has to be remembered. But yeah. of course, it's, it's important. It's important that this change is transferred to other parts of the region because it, it's the fishing industry. Um, and people sort of spoke several times about uh, the palm oil industry as an industry that's changed quite a lot in terms of its sustainability um, and traceability. But, but of course, trees, um, as someone pointed out, are, are static things. Um, palm trees are static, fish move, and therefore actually um, not only are fisheries harder to, to regulate um, it's also sort of more important to regulate them across 
across countries and across borders because of course that 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 resource is is shifting all the time and it's not quite as simple as as someone just owning um owning the resource so so that was interesting and i think the differences were really seen um when we heard from representatives from korea and and from japan of course where i spoke to the guy uh Wakao from from Seafood Legacy. Um, he he's founded a company um, several years back that was trying to drive change in the Japanese seafood industry. Um, he comes from a, a background in Greenpeace, so again he's a, he's another um, NGO representative that sort of that's joined, um, who, who's realised that that more people have to come to the table and it can't just be it can't just be battered into people with a stick. Um, I think as he put it, so. Yeah, and he's really done um, some quite important things in Japan in bringing people to the table, different stakeholders to the table to discuss sustainability issues. Japan obviously is a big, uh, big consumer of seafood, one of the biggest in the world. Um, it's a big producer, it's a big importer, um, but traditionally, uh, its its drive really has just been towards getting as much fish as possible without very much attention to whether that's sustainably sourced um in any way shape or form so but he he seemed to think things were really changing there uh, not least because of the the tokyo olympics that are going to be happening next year and um olympics uh the olympic committee sourcing sourcing strategy for things like seafood is is pretty um holds a pretty high bar so i think that's really pushing businesses in japan to change so that that was kind of interesting um and we did sort of identify, didn't we? There, there were certain people there that seemed to be really making a difference. Um, and just going back to, to Thai Union, who have no doubt made a huge difference in the Thai industry um, and really pushed things forward. I know you spoke to to Darian McBain, Lola, um, Thai Union's uh, head of head of sustainability. And, and what did she say about that change and, and what drove it for them? Well, the thing is, she she was telling me, of course, that um, as a big company, they have the responsibility to be the ones who are leading the way uh, when it comes to changing things. Uh, she was also a bit concerned that uh, the pressure that they feel uh, is probably not felt by other smaller producers, um, harvesters or, or processors um, in Thailand. So that might mean that... Uh, other producers don't feel the need to actually follow suit, let's say. But um, but of course she was uh, she was very committed, and she said the, the company is actually very committed to to be leading the change. Also, she said uh, that uh, certification, uh, while it is a way of of understanding which uh, which seafood is sustainable is it shouldn't be the only way. There is a big portion of the fish that people eat that is not certified. So she she was encouraging people to or companies to promote changes towards sustainability uh, without necessarily being uh, pushing just for certification. So I think that was interesting because she was like, okay, we need to take a more holistic approach to this. We cannot just go for certification as if that was the only the only thing that we strive for because that doesn't encourage um others who are actually far from getting that certification to to try and get it kind of kind of thing so i think that was interesting but yeah back to uh, back to what you were saying about uh, thailand um and the rest of, of asia 
I am hopeful, and people were saying that, that uh, Thailand is going to be set as an example for the rest of the countries. But uh, as McBain was saying, Thailand had to have a very, very big threat, actually, from the United States and from the European Union. And that was the trigger for the change. It was not, unfortunately, and, and this, doesn't, this doesn't sound right, but it was not really the, the, the uncovering of the issues, I'd say. Uh, I think it was needed uh, for Thailand to be threatened. It was needed for, for the European Union and, and the United States to say, you're, you're going to lose one of your biggest markets and you're not going to have where to place your products. And that's actually what triggered the change. And that seems to be a very big problem because um, you, very, very few times people learn from other, from other people's mistakes. So mm. I'm not sure whether they're going to need some kind of similar threat to, to act on these issues or if, because actually this, this, this change is very expensive. It's, it's cost-driven. And as they've been saying, um, it's hard to justify a higher costs when you're not actually bringing higher value or to the product or yeah. to the market. So um, will, will these countries be smart enough, sensi uh, sensible enough to change things because they know things are not being done the right way and because they have now an example where things are working or are they going to need um, some kind of uh, punishment, some kind of uh, being listed on a blacklist from yeah, yeah. one of their main markets. I think that's that's the sad side of things and it's not in the seafood industry, that's, that just happens everywhere unless you've got some real pressure on your profit. Mm, uh, mm. You don't change things, do you? So no, I'm hopeful exactly. that Thailand can be an example. It's definitely it's it's definitely some something that others are going to be looking up to. But whether it's going to trigger the change, I'm not. I'm just not so sure. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's interesting you say that because I think there was a bit of a reality check um, this week. Uh, I felt like in terms of certifications, as you mentioned, I think I think you snapped a <laughs> you snapped a, a photo. Uh, which you tweeted out, which which was something about um, a an advertisement for for a brochure of sort of summing up the 120 top seafood certifications, which is just insane, insane that there are 120 seafood certifications. And I think there there was definitely friction this week about um, on one hand some of the buyers um, and. Some actually of the, of the certifying bodies themselves, uh, the Fair Trade guy said it. Um, the Fair Trade US founder said it that he felt like the more certifications there were, the better at this point in time. That what was needed was information, and if that meant that there were 120 certifications out there in the seafood industry, then all well and good. Um, and the more information, the better. But that was not well received um, by the producing end. Uh, naturally, because these are these are hugely costly things to undertake, um, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be to be fair well received by the consumer either. Because um, I I just go to the shop. I don't want to have to study. I don't want to have to have a fishing background or an aquaculture background. I just just want to have some simple language telling me that I'm doing the the, the ethical thing to do here. So yeah, uh, I agree that certifications uh, on the table are of course important, and I'm and I'm not here to to call on which ones are 
I don't know, more relevant than, than others. I don't, I don't, I don't have any saying on that. But, um, but yeah, the more certifications there are, at the end of the day, the more confusion there's going to be in the marketplace, and and we're all for for transparency and for getting people on people on board. And and the only way to do that is to be clear and 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 straight, right, with people, and not confuse them more than they are. Yeah, yeah, and not give them information that they don't understand because right. I think it's it's easy to forget the consumer I mean really the consumer has no has very little insight into into the depth um into the depth that the rest of this sector has that, that the NGOs have that the buyers have that the the producers have and it's I think it's very easy I think the industry very easily forgets that um and I think that's always highlighted at sustainability conferences so that's that's kind of interesting and of course then it comes back to whose responsibility is it um for sustainability and I think it, it differs in different markets um but I think the buyer obviously has a lot of power as you say Thai Union um driving driving change in, in Thailand um sort of needed to be needs to be the case because they're the they're the big buyer um and mm-hmm. I think I I spoke to a Walmart buyer um this week from the US and I was talking to her and and how a giant buyer like Walmart makes decisions on sustainable sourcing because they have quite a rigorous sustainability policy policy themselves. Um, and she said they used multiple resources, um, certifications, um, FIPS, fishery improvement projects, of which there now seem to be um, hundreds, which is, which is, well, a separate topic, but, but also seems sort of a, a confusing issue. Um, and... But but she drove home the message to me that, that Walmart also really needs its suppliers, of which it has many, um, to really play quite a key role in this process too, to to come to Walmart, to come to other buyers like Walmart and say, look, this is what needs to be done. This is how you can help um, make the supply chain more sustainable. Um, so so she really encouraged that, some some more proactivity in, in the supply chain um, with businesses themselves, with, with producers and with exporters and importers um that that really more of the role should be should be falling to them so that that was interesting um of course the other challenge is is getting a grip for all people talk about um how things have improved or um how much better things are now than than they were or it's actually hard to measure sustainability Um, and that was definitely one of the things that was discussed this week um was how do you actually know? Well, I think people on the ground obviously sort of have a feeling about how things are going, but how do you how do you measure that and how do you you prove that um, down your supply chain? So, and obviously there are various tools in place, um, and there was a lot of discussion of, of blockchain, which um, more and more companies are picking up um, picking up on, which is no simple thing, but seems to be um, one of the future solutions. I think for sort of ensuring the sustainability and traceability in the industry um but yeah but that again i think is another challenge that that the industry is going to face and and needs to sort of really pin down because improvement is one thing but proving that improvement and and measuring it is is another Um, definitely and and i just wanted to mention now that you're saying that that i was at one of the um, breakout sessions where HSBC and Thai Union were, were discussing uh, blue bonds. And mm. the thing is that uh, Thai Union, the Thai Union CFO, uh, Joe Eric Ayer, uh, was saying that it's really, really hard for companies, just like you're saying, 
but I guess from another perspective, it's really, really hard for companies to prove to lenders that uh, that these bonds are actually going to be put into sustainable development. So he was saying the sustainability investment should be considered ro- uh, low risk because it's very socially accepted, because uh, it's actually eventually going to improve businesses, and it should be considered uh, low risk. However, these bonds, these blue bonds, which are environmental bonds or, or a subset of green uh, bonds, as we as we know them, um, are actually very expensive. They are not cheaper than black or non-blue bonds, and that is something that's putting off companies from uh, issuing them. But at the same time, why are they so expensive? If sustainability should is a low risk, well, because it's really really hard to prove sustainability like you're saying it's really hard to measure it and it's also really hard to go to a financer and say this is exactly how I'm going to invest this and this is the cost of it and this is what um well and, and this is going to be how how this money is is worth um, lending um so yeah throughout the chain it just got, it comes from financing from the very very financing part of things and until yeah the consumer itself it, you really need to you really need to make sure that uh, there is a system in place to measure to measure sustainability and to and to kind of um, build a case on it. Uh, yeah. Sustainability yeah. Is, is 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 a very very well and widely used word. Uh, it's become unfortunately a cliche, but it's such an important word, and you need to build a case for it that is measurable. You can't just talk about it uh, as a meaningless word because. Because then we face a situation that we're facing. We're all over it, but we're not able to to explain exactly what what's happening and, and what the improvements are. Um, so I think uh, the industry is struggling with this massively um, in all aspects. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think finance also is, is a big part of it. Um, and I think for all the sort of, um, I don't want to use the word platitudes because that's, that's, that's not actually true, but... For all um, sort of aspirational thinking and the, and the very hopeful message from this week, um, there's also the question of practicalities like cost. You know, who pays? Who pays for certifications? Who pays um, for these sustainability improvement processes? Well, because you know, I think the message is very much that in the long run. Obviously, this um, this is essential work um, and therefore has to be done, and therefore long term will improve um, everybody's returns. Um, but also there's the reality that short term it's expensive and that maybe things like certifications aren't actually um, providing the premium pricing that uh, the certification companies sort of sold them on. So that's another interesting thing that came up and probably a good topic for another podcast because I think there's a lot that all of us can say about that. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Lola, for being here. And we will see you again on our next podcast.